welcome to Sister Sis. I'm Jamie. I'm Latoya. I'm Calandra. And guys, we want to thank you for joining us today because we did miss you very, very much, as always. And today we have a phenomenal guest joining our show, Mr. Terry Tucker. I'm going to give a little bit of a background that I have on him, and then I'm going to allow Mr. Tucker to introduce himself. But first off, um, Mr. Terry Tucker is an ex-basketball player, as well as SWAT team hostage negotiator, cancer warrior, author... And he has been seen on over 600, 600 podcasts. Is that correct, Mr. Tucker? That's correct. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself, give us a little bit more, and then we'll jump right on in. Sure. Well, first of all, ladies, thank you very much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Uh, a little bit about me. I was born on the south side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from my voice or from looking at me but I'm six foot eight inches tall and actually went to college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina on a basketball scholarship. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long <laughs> before the internet was available to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, started out in marketing at Wendy's, then I moved to hospital administration, and then I made that pivot, became a police officer. And part of what I did was I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After that, I was a school security consultant, coached girls high school basketball, but for the last 11 and a half years, I've been battling a rare form of cancer, a rare form of melanoma. And then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That That is a mouthful. I'm like, whoo. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm exhausted just saying it. So, you know, it tells you how old <laughs> I am. So, <laughs> well, this hostage negotiator... Like, I'm interested in that. So what kind of special training goes into that, to talking to people? Yeah, so for those of you who are your audience who don't know how SWAT is usually broken up, there's usually two groups. There's the tactical team, which are the men and women with all the toys and the guns and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there are the negotiators. And we used to joke with the tactical team that if we did our job right, they didn't get to use all their toys and things like that. <laughs> but so basically what negotiating is, when there was an opening... We had to do a physical fitness test. We had to meet with a psychologist. We had to take different psychological exams, meet with the command staff, and then meet with the team. And then it was an all or nothing. If, if one person on the team said, uh, you know, I don't like Terry, he's hard to work with, or whatever, whatever they didn't like about me, then you didn't get on the team. Everybody had to give you the thumbs up. <laughs> and so I went through all that and got on as a negotiator and so we we do it as a team. People always ask me, Samuel L. Jackson did a great movie called The Negotiator many years ago where That's the guy was like Superman. Movie. You know, I mean, it was like, and people, is it is that the way it is? No, nobody could be as great as he was and nobody could do as good a job as he did. So no, we have to do it as a team and we'll have somebody negotiating, another negotiator with them listening. And then we'll have three or four or five people work in the crowd trying to get as much information as we can, because a lot of times when we negotiate or we get on scene, we have absolutely no idea 
why we're there, what precipitated this, what started it. And I'll, I'll just end it with this. What we're trying to do is the same thing any of you are trying to do when you have a relationship with somebody else, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your boss, everything, the overarching theme of negotiating is trust. Do I trust you? And I'm trying to gain trust of somebody who I've never met before in my life and is having probably the worst day they've ever experienced since they've been on this planet. Right, right, right. It's funny you mentioned trust because trust, I always say trust is the secret sauce. What sparked your interest in uh, becoming a negotiator? Really, it was just being on SWAT. Usually SWAT in whatever law enforcement agency, they're usually the best officers. They get the best training and have the best equipment. And I've always wanted to be in my life part of the best. And so Mm -hmm. it was... You, you do a lot of negotiating. I mean, our, our whole lives are negotiating. You know, we negotiate with our parents. Can I stay up an extra half hour and things like, you know, can I watch this television show? I mean, we negotiate with our spouse. We negotiate with our kids. We negotiate with our boss. So life is a negotiation. And I just wanted to get better at it. And I learned so much being a negotiator about how we communicate with each other, ways to get information. For example, we would not usually ask people why questions. So it'd be like, well, Jamie, why did you do that? Oh, wait a minute. That that sounds accusatory. Is he is he saying something about I can get to the same information? Well, Jamie, what got us to this point? So I can use that in a way, it's it's a softer way of getting the same information. How and what questions engage people to help me get them out safely? Why questions are accusatory. So we stayed away from why questions and pretty much focused on how and what questions. Nice. Okay. I got to remember to stay away from the why. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, unless you want to tick somebody off. Then right? <laughs> okay. So I want to go back a little bit from where we started with the, then over the, you know, the 600 podcast. Tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit more about that. What is the goal? Um, and then exactly what that means. Are you saying that you've actually been, on 600 podcasts or you yourself have done 600 podcasts like what are you fan with that number and has that number grown <laughs> it, it has as a matter of fact it's grown by one since i've been on with you so okay uh, okay 601 <laughs> okay so i started so again nobody who's listened to us never take business advice from me so i made the brilliant business decision to start a motivational speaking business just as covid hit So like so many other businesses, so many other uh, organizations, I had to figure out a different way to deliver my message because nobody was doing anything either in person or virtually at that time. And somebody reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I said, sure. What's a podcast? I had absolutely no idea what a podcast was. Honestly, I had no idea. It's like, well, we have a discussion, we record it, and we put it up on social media. I was like, okay, sure. I When I started my first podcast, I literally had post-it notes all around the camera. And he would ask me a question and I would kind of lean in and read the post <laughs> I was horrible. I was terrible at, at it. But think about the first time any of you ever made a meal or drove a car mm-hmm. or studied right. algebra or whatever. Were you any good at it? Probably not. You know, mm-hmm. we, we need to be bad in order to get good. And I was telling my publisher this was a long time ago. I said, you know, I listen to every podcast I have been on and I have been a guest on over 600 podcasts all over the world. 
And I said, I want to be a better guest. So the hosts feel that it was time well spent and their audience gets some value out of what we discussed. And he said, no, 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 Terry, it's not about being good. It's just about not sucking. And I said, well, thanks for the title of my next book. You know, just don't suck. But I said, no, that's not what it's about. I want, I want to hear how many times I said, um, or huh, or do I have a better story to illustrate that point? Or can I tighten the story up and make it, make it easier to understand and things like that. It's like anything else in life. I want to be good at it. I want to be the best at it. So I need to learn from it. I need to listen to them and find out ways I can be better at it. Okay. That, that, that is, first of all, let us say thank you for allowing us to be 601. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you know, we, like I say, we'll get back with you when how we got started and how we were struggling too when we got started, but here we are, we made it, we we surpassed the the challenges. Here and there, we'll get some, but most part, we make it through. So we appreciate that. So the next thing I want to ask you about is, you say um, explaining, you know, the four truths. I want you to explain the four truths. It says, control your mind or it will control you. Now, for me, that hits gold because my mind um, always thinks about food. So I eat all the time. <laughs> so, Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is if you're trying to do right, you know, just be healthy, you know. Um, so give us a little bit more of an explanation on what you mean by that. So, yeah. So the, the four truths are are things that, that I came up with that I just know are, I, I call them the bedrock of my soul. I, I just know that they're immovable. There are things that I, that I, that I know are, are just they're they're in my soul. They're they're not just something I know. They're 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 part of me. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the first one: control your mind, or your mind is going to control you. The other one is, uh, or the other three are: uh, embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life, and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. <laughs> the third one is more of a legacy type of truth. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And I used to think that the four truths were, that they, they stood on their own. There was not one that was more important than the other. But the more I've grown, the more I've learned, the more I've read and things like that, I really think the one you just mentioned, control your mind or your mind will control you really kind of is the overarching most important one of the truths because if you can't if you can't control your mind and this is something I learned when I was young I, when I was in high school I had three knee surgeries as a result of basketball injuries and I remember when I went back playing basketball and I was like 15 16 years old my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind you know things like hey you're probably a step slower since your surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember it's like, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level mm-hmm. and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of, pay, of playing for their college or university. I realized early that I needed to change the narrative to sort of flip the switch to something that was more positive. that was more palatable to my, to my existence. And I remember there was a study done by the Cleveland clinic that said that on any given day, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts that pass through our minds, most of which we don't pay attention to. 80% of those thoughts are negative. 
about 3,500 of those thoughts are new thoughts, thoughts that we haven't thought before. And our brain operates at the speed of about a thousand words a minute. And the last thing about the interest, the interesting thing part about the brain is it produces enough energy to light a 25 watt light bulb. Hmm. So, I mean, our brains are amazing things. And if we don't control them, they will control us. And so controlling your mind is definitely something I try to do every day in my life. Agreed. You know, and I think that goes to anything that goes towards your personal life, your career life, your personal relationships, your business relationships. But like I say, mine's is food. I have a problem with food. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the physical one. I always say, yeah, what is it? Change yeah. your, I always tell myself, change your mind, change your body. Because that's one I, I battle with over and over and over again. You know, like Jamie just mentioned, you know, the battle. We're foodies. We love to eat. <laughs> and of course, we know that, um, you know, losing weight and things like that and being physically healthy, it's 80% of what you eat. So, yeah, change your mind, change your body is what I always say. Absolutely. And, and, it and makes me go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying it makes me mad because I'm able to fulfill and go at everything else in my life 100%. That's the one thing I won't yeah. release. You know what I mean? Go ahead, though. You were about to say something. No, no, no. I, I was just, I was going to say it. it is so. So when I went to college, I, I went to college at a military school. And one year we had a president of our school who had been a um, prisoner of war during the Vietnam conflict back in the 1970s, spent eight years as a prisoner of war, went through some horrible experiences. But I remember being at an event with him and somebody asked him, who were the people that survived that, that torture, that brutality? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He said, let me tell you who didn't survive. He said it wasn't the big, strong, tall, tough guys that thought that they could handle any kind of abuse or torture. And then this one was interesting. He said the other group that didn't survive were the optimists. He said these were people that thought that they would be rescued or let go by Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. And he said Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter would come and go and they wouldn't be rescued or they wouldn't be released. And he said those people died of a broken heart. He said the people that survived were the people that understood what they could control okay. in their lives and controlled it. And he said, according, you know, from his perspective as a prisoner of war, he said it was basically the thoughts in our mind and the breathing in our lungs. Everything else was at the discretion of the enemy. And I think that's where we get into trouble. We tend to try to control things that are totally out of our control, that we have absolutely no control over. And that breeds anxiety that that breeds concern and and we're not living our best life understand what you can control in your life and control it and let the other stuff just go away because you don't have any control over it anyway what? why right. are you getting all anxious because of it right right i try to remind myself of that every day every day because <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna worry i worry about everything so <laughs> and i do too i i, I am a total worry i'm totally type a i've got to be in control and it drives me crazy. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It drives you crazy and probably everybody else around you. I think I'm <laughs> guilty about that. You've been talking to my wife, haven't you? Yes. <laughs> so that's a good one. <laughs> okay. So, and you know, they say stress is the silent killer. It is. 
you know. Um, so let's go to number two. You say embrace the pain and difficulty we all experience in life and use that pain to make you stronger and more resilient. So let me go back to what you were saying. You were saying that you um, had a rare case, a rare cancer. Am I, is that correct? And what did you say? You said, did you say it was a melanoma? What did you say? Yeah, it, it's a it's a rare form of melanoma. And most people think a melanoma is too much exposure to the sun and it affects the, the melon, the pigment in our skin. Mine has absolutely nothing to do with that. It's a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. Mine appeared on the bottom of my foot, but it has absolutely nothing to do with sun exposure. Hmm. Okay. And you said 11 years? 2012, I was diagnosed. I was told that if I was lucky, I would live five years, but more than, luck more than likely, I'd be dead in two because they had nothing to offer me. They, they said, we, we can, if it's somewhere we can cut it out, we can offer you surgery, but we have no treatments. We have no chemotherapies. We have no medications whatsoever to offer you. So plan on being dead. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, I was given a death sentence and I thought, well, I'm going to turn that into a life sentence because what doctors, you know, doctors are like Vegas, you know, they play the odds. They know that a man, my age with my level of cancer in my health condition will probably live X number of years. And what they don't know is they don't know I want to see my daughter graduate from high school. They don't know that I want to see, you know, walk my daughter down the aisle and have her graduate from college and things like that. They don't mm -hmm. know that. They don't know my heart. They don't know my mind. They don't know my soul. And those things, those things rule the body. And so if you have something to live for, if you have a purpose, I, I always tell people, I, I, I get it. I, doctors got to do what they got to do, but they don't know you. And don't right. just take whatever they say and say, well, that's the way it is. I'm going to be dead that's in two right. years. Yeah. They do right. not have the final say at all. They do not. They yeah. do not. Not the creator. <laughs> so what did you, what was your choice? What did you end up deciding to do? So my, my doctor, after they cut the tumor out of the bottom of my foot and they took out all the lymph nodes in my groin, I was put on a drug called interferon, as my doctor used to say, to try to kick the can down the road and buy you some more time. The side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. Mm -hmm. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And I mean, it was a lousy flu, like diarrhea, throwing up, aches, chills. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was I mean, sometimes winning the day was I could get out of bed and, and make it to the couch mm. where I would spend the day. I, I mean, that's and like I said, that wasn't a cure. The interferon eventually became so toxic to my body <clears throat> that I ended up having to stop it because I ended up in the intensive care unit with a body temperature of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive. But somehow I survived that. So I had to stop taking it. Five years of interferon, the disease came back almost immediately. <clears throat> exact same spot on my foot. That necessitated the amputation of my foot in 2018. Cancer worked its way up my leg. Two more surgeries in 2019. And then in the middle of COVID, I found I had an undiagnosed tumor kind of, kind of in my ankle area that grew large enough that it fractured my tibia. So it broke my leg. And my only recourse in the middle of the COVID pandemic 
was I had my left leg amputated and I found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm still being treated for now. And I know that sounds like a real dark and ugly journey, and it certainly has been, but I'll tell you two things about cancer. I don't think you truly know yourself until you've been tested by some form of adversity in your life. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, I think cancer's made me a better human being. Mm. Wow. What keeps you going? What keeps you fighting? I, I think three things. And, and I, I call them my three Fs. They are they are faith, family, and friends, and literally okay. in that order. Okay. I have a very strong faith life. Um, you know, when I when I got cancer, people people were like, Well, well, who do you blame? I'm like, what do you mean? Who do I blame? I, I I got I get cancer. Well, you gotta blame somebody. I mean, we're great about you know starting down the road toward a goal <laughs> or something and then button up against an impediment. Something mm-hmm. gets in our way and we can't get over it, around it, or through it. So we quit. But we just right. don't quit. Now we got to blame somebody. You know, we got to blame our parents or our station in life or our boss. Very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And then when people found out I had a faith life, they were like, well, you got cancer. You must blame God. And I used to joke with them. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't right. believe that at all. But I do believe he's given me the strength, the courage, the determination to continue to go on. And I know when I was taking interferon, I literally prayed to die. I, I felt that there were sort of two camps. There was the camp of I'm living and there's the camp of I'm not dying. And I was just in the not dying camp. I really didn't feel like I was living. I wasn't contributing. You know, I wasn't really doing anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't hardly do anything, but literally survive from day to day. And I, I just was like, look, God, I'm not contributing to life. Just take me out of this. Mm-hmm. he didn't. And mm-hmm. when I when I had these tumors in my lungs and I had my leg amputated, I remember my oncologist showed me my CAT scan. This is about six months later. And I don't, I have no medical background. I don't know how to read a CAT scan, but you can kind of look at it and be like, oh, oh boy, that sure doesn't look like it belongs there. You know, <laughs> I had these big tumors in my lungs. I had fluid all around the pleural spaces. And I'll never forget this till the day I die. I remember looking at him and saying, how was I alive? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, he put his head down. He shook his head no. And then he looked up to me and he said, I don't know because you shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. He said to me that wow. God's not done with me yet. Yeah. By you, Obviously, definitely. So you, definitely. you still got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Today, I right? got a big yeah. assignment. Got some big assignments coming your way. He knew I had well, to have a podcast six hundred one with you with the three <laughs> days. So you know what? <laughs> well, let me let us hit you with this though. All three of us are nurses, <laughs> so we not lost. I knew I felt comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All three of us are nurses. Um, That's amazing. That's great. Well, until next time, there is strength in sisterhood and support in sisterhood. Bye. Bye.